0: Today is Monday, May 4th, 2020. On this day in 1970, a protest at Kent State University in Ohio turned deadly when four students were shot by National Guardsmen. The students were protesting the bombing of Cambodia. Their deaths at the hands of soldiers galvanized public opinion in the final years of the Vietnam War. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today, we're covering the Kent State Massacre, where National Guardsmen fired into a crowd of protesting college students. Let's go back to the Kent State, Ohio campus on the early afternoon of May 4th, 1970, at about 12.20 p.m. Nineteen-year-old Allison Kraus was appalled to see the khaki uniforms lined up in front of her. The row of Ohio National Guardsmen had their rifles loaded and bayonets fixed to the ends. They looked like they were going to war. But the only enemy in sight was the 2,000 students gathered on the university commons. The grassy field in the middle of the Kent State campus was an equally popular meeting point for rallies, protests, and pickup games of soccer and frisbee. Now, the 113 soldiers seemed ready to turn the lush green space into a battlefield. Allison watched another student put a tiny flower in the barrel of one of the rifles. She grinned at the small act of protest and glanced over to a nearby police officer. The local Kent Police Department had asked for support from the National Guard, but the blue uniforms still lined the edges of the protest, trying to keep it within the boundaries of the commons. Allison eyed the flower and said to the patrolman, flowers are better than guns. A moment later, a dark National Guard jeep roared up to the edge of the protesting students. In the jeep, Kent police patrolman Harold Rice raised a bullhorn to his mouth. He hollered, This is an order. You must leave this area immediately. But few students moved out of the crowd. Most of them couldn't even hear Rice over the din of the protest chants. They kept waving their homemade signs. Rice lowered his bullhorn and retreated back behind the line of khaki-clad guardsmen. Then, beneath the sound of chanting, he heard a command pass down the line of soldiers. They were ordered to advance towards the crowd. Rice later said... I heard the order given for tear gas to be shot. I turned to my partner and told him, somebody is going to get killed." Rice's words were prophetic. At 12.25 p.m., a contingent of 28 National Guardsmen moved into a position about 100 yards from the crowd of student protesters. Then they opened fire. The rifle fire lasted for 13 seconds. Varying accounts dispute the number of shots, but most reports agree that 61 rounds of ammunition were fired. The 2,000 students on the commons scattered and ran for their lives. When the gunfire stopped, four students lay dead, including Allison Krause. Nine more were wounded, including one young man who would never walk again. Up next, the context and fallout of the tragic attack. Now back to the story. The deaths of four students at Kent State University on May 4, 1970 shook the entire nation. Newspaper headlines and nightly news broadcasts across the country featured the shooting as their top story. Questions began almost as soon as the first reports emerged from the campus. Why had the Ohio National Guardsmen opened fire? How did the protest reach the point of requiring lethal force? Why were those four students dead? Further details emerged as well. Of the four students killed, only two of them were part of the protests. One of them, a girl named Sandra Schur, was simply walking to class over 130 yards from the grassy commons. Rumors began to fly that students had attacked the soldiers or that a sniper had fired on their ranks. More speculation claimed that the alleged student attacks were a story manufactured to justify lethal force against the protesters. As gossip and attention-grabbing headlines gripped the nation, the mystery of why the order to fire was given, if it had been at all, was never solved. But most historians agree that the tension on campus between the protesting students and the authorities sent to disperse or arrest them had reached a breaking point by the afternoon of Monday, May 4th. The students were wrapped up in the nationwide anti-Vietnam War campaign. The conservative local public, including the military and government, saw them as agitators who simply wanted to incite violence against law enforcement, regardless of the cause they claimed to be supporting. They saw proof of their fears when the students burned down the ROTC building on campus the weekend before the shooting. The National Guard was called in, tensions kept mounting. The two commanding officers of the National Guardsmen, General Sylvester Del Corso and Robert Canterbury, made comments to the press about the violence encountered during Kent State protests. Del Corso had said, "...like Ohio law says, use any force that is necessary, even to the point of shooting." Just before the shooting, Governor James Rhodes said in a press conference that the radical student protesters were worse than the brown shirts and the communist elements. They're the worst type of people that we harbor in America. Even after the shooting, as graphic photographs of dead students were splayed across televisions and newspapers, the public sentiment about the violence remained split. Some were horrified and saw the deaths as unacceptable state violence. Some were more ambivalent, as one of the Kent State professors wrote a month later, the violence on Kent's campus was a rather tragic series of events which added up the wrong way. Still others argued that the shootings had been justified, that the students had escalated things themselves. This final viewpoint seemed to win out at a legal level. The U.S. Department of Justice decided that there would be no federal grand jury investigation into the shootings. The families of the four slain students were crushed and petitioned to have the case re-examined. Millions of students went on strike across the country. Then, three years later, the victims got a second chance. After the Watergate scandal broke, the Justice Department reversed its decision and convened a grand jury. Eight of the guardsmen were indicted and brought into court on March 29, 1974. However, the result was anticlimactic. The trial ended abruptly the following November with the acquittal of all eight soldiers. The families of the Kent State victims, however, still weren't ready to give up. They decided to file civil lawsuits against the Ohio State Government, eventually consolidating into a single suit against the governor. The plaintiffs sought $46 million in damages. Their trial lasted 15 weeks. But once again, the law fell on the side of the National Guard. In the end, the judge ruled that the slain students had not been denied their rights or been victims of wanton misconduct or negligence. The case was dismissed. Several appeals eventually reached an out-of-court settlement to support the needs of the wounded students, but no culpability was ever assigned for the four deaths. After the trials, the Kent State Massacre faded into history as a final benchmark of the tumultuous Vietnam War era. The shooting became a shorthand for the bitter, divisive politics around the war and for the widespread exhaustion that was starting to set in by 1970. The growing apathy of the American public was encapsulated by the lack of outrage about the massacre in the ensuing years Media debates about the shooting faded, little attention was paid to the lack of legal justice for the victims, and ultimately, the events at Kent State had little effect on American foreign policy. The media moved on to cover other scandals throughout the early 1970s. But some echoes from the massacre continued through the decades. A Kent State journalism student named John Philo won a Pulitzer Prize for his photography on the day of the shooting, specifically for a famous image depicting a young woman screaming over the corpse of one of the dead students. That image remains a haunting, iconic symbol. And to this day... A memorial candlelight vigil is held annually at the site of the shooting, reuniting survivors and victims' families. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories like this one, check out ParCast Original, Political Scandals. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Andrew Messer, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson.